Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to another episode of the Look Up Podcast. On this episode, I interviewed Jeff Bausmer, founder of the East Meets West Festival. Jeff and I were introduced through my first guest, Andrew Murray Dunn. And as you know, the goal of the show is to highlight individuals tackling modern societal issues in a unique way. Through East Meets West Festival, Jeff is bringing ancient Eastern practices such as herbal medicine back into the mainstream to help solve medical and mental health issues. For seven years, Jeff suffered from chronic illness that Western medicine couldn't cure, which forced him to experiment with unconventional but traditional Eastern medicinal systems. His festival gives modern people tools for personal, social, and cultural revolution by catalyzing the conversation around human potential, well-being, creative culture, entrepreneurial leadership, and social impact. Jeff and I discuss the flaws of scientific materialism and the inability for us to prove cause and effect. We dive a bit into psychedelics, which Jeff describes as the next wellness trend. It's a lighthearted and at times meandering conversation, but I think it highlights just how intelligent Jeff is and his wide range of knowledge. I had a lot of fun with this one, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. So here's Jeff Balsamer. So Jeff, thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, still is yet to be named podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, with even more vague <laughs> description of what we're trying to cover here. Um, so, you know, I appreciate you taking the leap of faith and, and no coming on. Thank you. Uh, so I guess for starters, you know, would love to hear a little bit about you and, and your background. Sure. So uh, where to start? Okay. So I currently produce an event called East Meets West, which is a music wellness festival that I've done for the past four or five years in New York and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, I started it because uh, for a number of reasons in school, um, when I was 19, I was very depressed and, um, had a lot of other challenges, was a closeted gay man. And, um, a lot of just things were not working. And, you know, I was going to a good school. I was going to Tufts in Boston. And, mm. um, I'd gone to the oldest public high school in the country and, um, you know, considered myself to, you know, be a very, you know, devout Western scientific materialist, intellectual type of character. <laughs> and, uh, you know, was studying under Daniel Dennett, who's like kind of, you know, one of the more like, well-known scientific materialist mm. philosophers in the country. Can world. you can you explain for people like me who don't know what scientific materialism is, but what it means? Yeah, so it's basically the idea that the entire everything is physical. Mm. Um, there's and everything can be explained scientifically, if not now, at some point in the future. It's like a it's a faith based mm. kind of dogma. 
um, but that, you know, operates as a kind of science, you know, quote unquote science, um, based on, you know, scientific findings and scientific research, um, which of course is limited to that, which we can observe, right. Which is of course limited to micro, whatever you can actually see with a microscope, which we already know is limited. We've never seen an electron. Yeah. Um, you know, we only understand them essentially as kind of mathematical probabilities, um, which isn't to say that they don't exist and that we don't have a way of kind of understanding what their effects are. Um, but to say that we fully understand the physical, quote unquote, the physical underpinnings of the universe would be an overstatement. Yeah. And um, that kind of has its logical end in our beings themselves, our, our bodies and our brains being physical structures that give rise to human experience as as an epiphenomena so what you're actually seeing and experiencing is just a byproduct of physical mechanisms Mm -hmm. neurons firing in your brain so uh it's a very it's based on cause and effect um it understands the universe to be deterministic so things operate in a way that can be determined um or should be able to be determined if we're able to factor in all the, you know, appropriate, um, if we're able to, you know, though we can't fully do that now, we would be able to, if we could, um, actually factor in all those things. Um, and so to me, you know, that ends up leading you into, there's no, if you believe that there's no possibility of soul, there's no possibility of, afterlife there's no possibility of free will it essentially just means that we're robots who are like performing mm. a dance you know that like means nothing um there is no essentially like you have no ability to determine your own outcomes um and ultimately that can be a really depressing outlook <laughs> <laughs> Like, if you really follow it to its conclusion, like, a lot of people who believe in it will claim, like, oh, well, I think that the universe is, like, it's so vast and magnificent. It's like, like yes, but also if... And that, that can be true for you as a scientist. But if you have no agency and if there's no meaning, like, what the fuck is the point? Mm. You know? Um, what would you do if your life had no meaning? If you knew that your li- there was no meaning? I mean, honestly, like what I was like considering at the time, like I thought of like, I didn't necessarily, I wouldn't say that I was suicidal, Mm. but I was so different. Like I didn't want to do anything. Like it felt Mm. like it didn't matter. Like nothing mattered, you know? And like, just like look at our culture, like that's where the culture is. And most people carry these assumptions as like limiting beliefs that they're not even aware are fully there for them. Most people haven't engaged with a philosophical understanding of the universe, but they absorb it from contemporary culture. You know, we operate as a materialistic culture, right? We like seek things outside of ourselves in order to feel fulfilled. And that's because we're looking towards material things for our feelings of enjoyment. Right. Mm. Um, And ultimately, you know, and this is the next part of, you know, my story and why I do what I do is that when I was 19, I, 
we'll make a, a bit of a long story short, but I was invited by my friend to go to this music festival um, called Dreamtime in Colorado. And at the time, I um, it was the year after my freshman year at college, and uh, I had $300. And so I just took it and took my parents' car and told them that I was going to Cape Cod, which is an hour and a half from Boston, and I just drove to Colorado. No. Mm-hmm. And wow. so ended up going on like a three-week, four-week road trip with my best friend that started with going to a music festival with like a bunch of super-duper hippies, which yeah. was like totally, I'd never even really been to a yoga class. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like... Pretty um, bold for a 19-year-old. Totally, yeah. I mean, it was... It was, I guess that's when you do bold things. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was one to, you know, sneak out of school and like take my parents' car and like drive to parties before I had a license and mm. do stuff like that. So it wasn't out of character for me completely. Um, but this was like next level, you know? Um, so yeah, at the festival, the first three days were, you know, weird in their own way. I felt like I was in a new world, you know, I just was sort of unfamiliar with all the surrounded stuff. by all the hippies. Right. You know, like people yeah. named Kale and <laughs> like literally solarkale at gmail.com. I remember one of the persons. <laughs> um, Solarkale. Like, you know, just people great. talking about crystals and all that funky stuff. And, um, you know, I was having an interesting experience the first few days for sure. But then on the last day, um, I was up at sunrise. I'd been up all night on ecstasy, just like partying. And the guy next to me got offered acid. And so I did it. And mm. uh, over the course of the next 12 hours, I just had a ton of things happen. I uh, realized that I needed to come out of the closet. And mm. so I did that with my friend a couple days later, who I was on the road trip with. Um, I so you had you were still closeted at this time. Yeah. Okay. Um, I and your friend didn't know. I mean, she knew because it was obvious. (laughs) (laughs) So when you did, it was it was a big deal for you. Yeah, it was huge for me. And she, I I hope, appreciated that. Of course. But also was like, (laughs) yeah, I I know. She's like, oh, that's so great. But I mean, duh. And, <laughs> and would you say like it was, you know, it was a psychedelic experience that gave you the courage to do this? It kind of broke it open or was it, you know, because sometimes these, you know, these festivals, right? There's yeah. a lot of these psychedelic experiences available to attendees there. And I wonder if it's if it's the um, quote unquote medicine induced state mm-hmm. or if it's actually just the environment of acceptance totally, yeah. Um, yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I was experiencing the environment the first few days, you know, yeah. and it was really, it was interesting to me, um, but it was definitely taken to the next level on acid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think you'll hear this from anyone who's, you know, a researcher on psychedelics that like the in the set and setting make all the difference in what the experience is going to be like. Of course. Um, so, and those you're with. Right. Which I guess falls under setting. Right. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I mean, so I hear for me, like, uh, it did, I also wouldn't say that it gave me courage. It literally felt as though I was not in the closet anymore. Like it Mm -hmm. literally, it was as though I had already come out. Like it just felt like none of the thoughts in my own mind were correct. Like any of the, like, like, what will this person think? Or like this person will Mm -hmm. feel like I lied to them. Like, None of that mattered. It was as though I could step out of my own. It was like looking at myself from an objective 
So it was liberating. It wasn't a struggle when you took the, took these substances that you were facing something inside of you that felt, you know, like you broke through in a way. It was just light. Yeah. It was just like, holy shit, this is fucking awesome. Like (laughs) there was no, like, it wasn't like ayahuasca. It wasn't like battling demons or whatever, you know, it was just like cutting the cord. Yeah. Because of course, with the psychedelic experience, I think, you know, you mentioned this earlier when we were chatting offline, it's a grab bag. Yeah. Right. Right. And you never know what you're going to get with that. Right. I mean, I was generally in an environment with people who were like doing self-development work, you know, Mm. Um, I had other experiences on it too. I mean, that, that alone was valuable in itself for sure. Um, But I also ended up realizing that I didn't, I needed to drop out of the college that I was going to. I ended up re-enrolling in another college that was amazing. That was like much more suited for what I ended up wanting to do. So you dropped out of Tufts. I dropped out of Tufts. Um, and I, right after this experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was immediate. I was like, I'm done here. Like, well, can't be here anymore. So you spent a year basically learning? I was mostly focused on philosophy, um, oh. a little bit on international relations, but kind of just... And it was too stuffy for you. It wasn't f- freeing your mind, opening your mind. It was more kind of, you felt like you were getting... Yeah, it was just like very basic... Um, the classes were huge. There was no personal attention being paid to you. Yeah. Like, uh, there was very little accountability. Um, I mean, I had heard about the school that I ended up going to at St. At, at Tufts. What was it called? St. John's college okay. in New Mexico. There's one in Annapolis too. And mm-hmm. my favorite teacher at Tufts was like, if I could be a teacher anywhere, I'd be a teacher here. And I was like, well, I want to go wherever my favorite teacher would want to be a teacher. Yeah, absolutely. And so I went and checked it out and it, amazing like st john's is an incredible school where, where in new mexico is this santa fe okay yeah so a backdrop of the desert and yeah, the mountains gorgeous. yes yeah beautiful yeah. it's like an incredibly gorgeous school and set and setting exactly yeah no yeah the the program itself too is really cool like everyone majors in the same thing there's technically no tests or grades mm. there are those things a little bit um but like you have to ask for your grades and and, and now I want to, I want to step back. I mean, obviously you made a lot of changes from this experience, but you said you were depressed, mm-hmm. um, going into this, mm-hmm. uh, that depression, you know, did it come back after this experience or did? Yeah. 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 So, so talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. So it came back in a much different way. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're like super familiar with like young Yen or like, uh, Joseph Campbell type. Mm. stuff but you know no i mean uh, uh, carl young yeah. fascinated by his work but definitely cool, yeah. there's room to learn sure, always yeah. i mean so like you know in the process of like confronting the shadow or like confronting the animus or the anima like the, uh, for males it's typically you'll confront an anima figure so like the part of yourself that's the female disembodied part of yourself when you like start to do self-development work um, because our culture is like, so bifurcated, mm-hmm. um, Gen- you mean on gender lines bifurcated. Yeah. yeah. So this is man, this is woman. This is the attributes that we apply to both of them exactly. rather than integrating masculine and feminine into one being. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So like, you know, and part of that is for, I mean, for the culture at large is like not accepting what are more traditionally feminine characteristics of like intuition right Mm. um and you know for me that experience i'd have to just finish the the story there too is that yeah of course um 
as I, you know, realized that I needed to do all that stuff, my friend was like, well, let's go to this like workshop. And so we go to the workshop and, um, people are doing, uh, we're sitting in a circle and everyone is doing an ohm. Mm. And I actually thought that they were saying yum. Cause I'd never been to anything like this before. <laughs> and people like at the event were saying yum, like a different, like, well, they could be saying yum. They could be yeah. saying yum too. Yeah. They, they could be yamaka. I don't know. Well, a lot of them were Jewish for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yam is, um, yam is the, the sound of the heart chakra. Yes. Yeah, from I, what I understand. I but, that that's right. Yeah. But um, you know, <laughs> yum is more fun anyways. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, so they were they were doing that, and as they were doing that, I could see energy coming out of everyone's mouth and collecting in the center of the circle, and then like exploding outwards like a firework. Like it looked like a movie special effect. I was just like, "What? Wow, that's some good acid." It was really good acid. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I could have probably attributed that to like my own just being a hallucination that doesn't mean anything. Mm. Um, but then right after that, I was in a workshop where I was partnered with this guy and we were supposed to tell each other what we wanted out of community. And as we started to speak, he were staring at each other for like 20 minutes. And all of a sudden his face starts to change into millions of older people's faces, just like in a kind of like clockwise, like little pizza slices changing into like different people's faces. Wow. And then he changed into a huge white owl. And while he was talking to you. Yes. And, wow. And like my eyes were like completely open it was just like and what did he say did, did you well, were you like sir you're a white owl yeah, <laughs> like I I'm sorry I couldn't speak I so, was literally just like <laughs> do you believe he had awareness of uh, of what you were experiencing no he was like he was worried for he was like are you okay and I was like <laughs> He like started to cry. <laughs> to one point, it was like a crying owl. I was oh like, this my is God. too much. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. And for okay, and then for years, like I had no, to, like you know, I go to this experience and then I leave and I have no way of like actually understanding what had happened to me. You know, mm. like I I would literally Google afterwards, like old man acid owl. Like yeah, I was just gonna say. So I'm guessing you know, given your you know, your experience to date, I have a sense that you might've looked up the symbology of a white owl. Of course, yeah, of course. So what does a white owl mean in, in, in different cultures? Yeah. So, uh, as far as I know, cause I know of it from Harry Potter and that's, yeah, right. <laughs> it means that I'm Harry Potter. <laughs> you might be, you have yeah, the glasses. That's, that's <laughs> if I get that at bars. Oh my God. Like, like, oh, Harry Potter over here. Like, oh, I mean, I'll take it. Honestly, I'm kind of cool. Um, yeah, as far as I know, um, in especially the Lakota tribe, they view out, like if you see an owl, it tends to mean that you're a medicine person, Mm. which I am doing. And like, I didn't even try. Okay. Like I, you can say it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but like truly it's not like I, if I were to tell you all the things I was, all the trainings that I've done have all been for free. Like I've just been able, like I've been. It's just come to you. I've just been funneled into these things and I'm interested in it for sure. Like I am genuinely, like I love that stuff. Um, but like at the time I had no idea that that's, was going to be, you know, what I was going to be doing. But I mean, also certainly relevant for me at the time was that, you know, you can look at the owl as the bird that flies in the night and saves people from darkness. So I was in a very, and it's also, you know, 
very stereotypically the like animal that represents wisdom. Mm. And I was the wise old owl. Yeah. And I was in like a deep philosoph. My depression was philosophical. You know, I was like, I am depressed because I think that my understanding of the universe is, uh, that we're all robots, you know, according to these philosophical ideas. Yeah, we're just I, meat machines. Right. It's like carried on by some chemical reactions in right. our meat sack at the top of our head. Right. You know, I yeah. mean, sounds really. It's not very romantic. Not romantic, that's for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I don't, it doesn't leave much room for awe or wonder or, you know, mm. mystery. And. Mm. Not that that's something that you should like seek just because you want them, but you know, I ended up experiencing things that were not super explainable according to. I mean, you could so you could look at those as being um, figments of my imagination for sure. Yeah. Um, the thing was that the next day after the festival was over, me and Chelsea were at a restaurant uh, for breakfast and. I, for whatever reason, was in the mood for apple cider. And it was, like, the middle of summer. So, like, I don't know. I identify apple cider as being kind of a hot drink. Yeah, definitely, um, like, fall, right? Right. Right around pumpkin spice latte Yeah, time. exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I was, like, I'm in the mood for this. Like, I was, like, and what are the odds that they'll have this tiny little restaurant? Mm. And um, I asked for it, and they were, like, yeah, we have that. And so, they come out, and they give the bottle to my friend Chelsea. And Chelsea had been paired up with – Chelsea was with another older gentleman, her – that older guy and the older guy that I was paired with were friends. So we ended up being paired together. And so Chelsea had seen this guy. She takes a look at the bottle and then she takes a look at me and takes a look at the bottle again and takes a look at me. And just like, is it like flabbergasted shows me the bottle and it's a picture of that guy's face on the bottle. It was his apple cider company. The guy that you were sitting with. Yes. The guy who I'd seen turn into an owl. Oh, the owl guy. Yes. And he wasn't with you at this, at this meal. No. Wow. Have you ever s- sought him out? Yeah, I emailed him maybe two years afterwards. Okay. Um, he's was, like, was he like, get away from me, kid? I don't know anything about any owls. No, no, no. <laughs> he, was, he was nice. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't, his experience was not my experience. Yeah, of course. Um, he was really nice, though. He was like living in South America. He had retired um, from running his his apple cider company, Big B's Apple Cider. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I... I I'd be curious. I don't even know if he's still alive. He was definitely... Well, we'll look up Big B's Apple Cider afterwards and yeah. if anybody wants to order. This is not sponsored by Big B's <laughs> Apple Cider. Um, well, I want to get back to a couple of things that you said. So, you know, I, I feel this... Um, I feel this qualification that I can tell you're um, intentionally making. And the qualification is it might have just been a figment of a figment of my imagination. And I know that a lot of people who do psychedelics take it very literally um, and believe that they are experiencing some type of spiritual awakening and these beings or visions are happening outside of them. Um, Walk me through that qualification. I feel that this is something that you consciously have, have made for sure. And then does it matter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it matters a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So ultimately any experience that you have on psychedelics is going to be a subjective one. There's going to be no way for you to fully prove whatever is happening in your mind is happening on the outside. Mm. Um, I've certainly had experiences that suggest that that is what's happening. You know, like as, as one example, like doing ayahuasca and having like a really negative 
entity or spirit or whatever you want to call it mm. um, pop up for me. And then a dog in the room at the time, um, as soon as it popped up for me, the dog yelped, ran over to the foot of my bed and started shaking. <laughs> mm. And anytime the thing would pop back up into my vision, the dog would yelp and start shaking again mm. as though like it was like attacking it or like doing something with it, having some kind of interaction with it. I think that there is an interrelationship between, you know, the outside world and the inside world, but that's because I don't think that there's any real separation there. Mm. Um, but when you're talking about whatever your experiences are, if you extrapolate into saying that that somehow makes them real, um, that's the same thing as saying everything's material as though material means real or material is like the only meaningful word that you could use to describe those things. Mm. Realness and, and material is that's a figment of our imagination as well. Um, those terms are, you know, kind of thrown about in a way that doesn't allow for the intersubjectivity of having an experience that is unique to you and that doesn't have, um, If you only, if you're only like operating from a point of thinking that like, you know, things that are able to be proven objectively are mm. true, then you're only going to have those kinds of experiences and you're only going to, you're going to be limited to the types of things that um, you would think could be understood in the universe. Mm. Yeah. And that brings me back to kind of like the shared delusion of reality in and of itself, right? Like mm -hmm. one way of proving that your visions are true is to is to have a shared mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. And I know a lot of scientific research around psychedelics um, to date are, are kind of moving in that direction. In other words, um, you know, Graham Hancock yeah. talks about this experience of getting someone really into the heightened mental state of DMT for a long period of time in a lab setting mm -hmm. or having multiple people in that setting together yeah. and then reporting on what they saw to try to prove that there's some kind of commonality yeah. because a lot of people experience similar visions when they're on DMT or ayahuasca. Yeah. And now the, the irony of that to me is, you know, it goes back to kind of um, Descartes, I think, and I wasn't a philosophy major, but cogito ergo sum, yeah. right? I think yeah. therefore I am. It's the only thing that he could truly prove. Yeah. I can't even prove that you're really in this room with me right now. You could right. be a figment of my imagination right. yeah. and all the 10 people that are going to listen to this podcast <laughs> might hear you as well, but it could just be a shared delusion for all of us. Yeah. And so I, I think that's why, you know, I asked, does it matter? Because, you know, you qualify it as this might have just been a figment mm -hmm. and it's quite, quite possibly was, but, experience still resonated with you right and that learning still resonated with you and has an effect on and a ripple throughout your life so what's the difference yeah totally yeah and i guess so it definitely you know all of these things if if, the, if you're having experience of those things like hopefully they do create some kind of experience that matters for you but also i was taking what you were saying to also be a little bit of a I think it's important for people to distinguish when they have experiences to not then go into the realm of being like, okay, well, I've had an experience of like God, you know, and like, 
extrapolating whatever they're experiencing to be something that it may not be, you know? Mm. Um, it's like the lesson of Don Quixote, you know, like there could always be an evil djinn who's like giving you a like experience that you think is a good one, but actually there's like something bad underneath it. Like there, even if you were to have some experience of like something super transcendentally divine and amazing and like, you know, you're like seeing the chakras and like moving out of your body and like whatever, right? Like, what if underneath that there's like something else right there's always like there's always going to be more potentially other things that could be explaining things um whenever i hear anyone you know kind of stopping the um the distinction between what they've experienced as subjective and objective or when they start describing things as like they start using absolute yeah they start using absolutes like that it to me is like you're missing the point like you're you've been given an experience of something that's like indescribable and ineffable mm. and like if you want you can like refer to it as god but to me that's like giving it uh it's like putting a box on something that like the whole time you were experiencing was saying i'm not box <laughs> yeah and I, I think even like let's move moving out of the realm of psychedelics towards kind of like a traditional eastern practice like yoga mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the tradition was passed down from guru to mm-hmm. student. And oftentimes it was via parroting what the guru did. Yeah. There was never even necessarily a description, mm-hmm. right, of, you know, of what the guru might be experiencing on a day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I, I listened to uh, Tom Knowles' podcast, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you heard... I know, I know of him, but... Okay, so Tom Knowles um, was one of the founders of this Transcendental Meditation School in the United States, studied under the Maharishi, um, gr- great yoga master, and he interviewed Eddie Stern, mm-hmm. um, who started yeah, one I of the major Ashtanga schools in New York, and they have a section in their latest interview about um, psychedelics. And, you know, Tom mentions in a way that kind of resonated with me because at first it struck me as, oh, wow, like this is a little, um, dare I say, arrogant. But I had to reflect and say, why, you know, why is that causing this emotion in me? Because I have massive respect for him. And basically what he said was, I've never done any psychedelic in my entire life. And frankly, I think that, you know, he was more articulate, but frankly, I think that the experience that I'm having on a day-to-day basis, having practiced 30 years of meditation throughout my life every single day might be considered a psychedelic experience if someone could witness my consciousness. Uh So basically I'm fucking tripping all the time. Um, And, but like that, his conscious experience cannot be taught in the sense of like, he can't verbalize it to you or me and thus we absorb it that way. Totally. Yeah. Right. So it's subjective and yet it's absolute at the same time, potentially. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, for me that, I think that meditative awareness to people who resonate more with that tend to be less, to me, I guess in my experience, I found that people who do psychedelics veer more towards ab- absolutes. Um, I think oftentimes because they actually have experiences of like spirits, which like in yogic tradition, like talking like 
chakra wise like it's like the difference between like a sixth and a seventh chakra experience like six chakra is like you're seeing spirits you're seeing embodied entities you're seeing things that like have form whereas like seventh chakra is more like disembodied like pure consciousness like doesn't have a description to it um and i think meditators tend to get more of that kind of experience whereas Mm -hmm. shamanic practitioners or people who utilize psychedelics they like have more visionary experiences so they like get attached to the forms of things Mm -hmm. um but that's like a primary warning in like all yogic teachings is like don't get attached to the forms because like when you start doing yoga you'll open your consciousness up to having experiences like that having cities or superpowers and like if you get caught there if you get stuck thinking that that's the be all end all of like the things that you can experience then that's a problem yeah they're Um, not yours right they're not your superpowers you don't hold them right totally they might be something that's flowing through you as a vessel of energy yeah yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of the people who like get attached to those things, they're probably even aware of that. You know, they like oftentimes are doing healing work with other people or they're like doing good things in the world, but making the pitfall of like having those experiences and being like, Oh, I saw this spirit. So like, that means that I'm working with God and it's like, maybe you're working with the devil. Like who knows, like whatever the energy yes. that you're working with, like if you don't question it, if you're not like, okay, there's maybe there's something that comes after this or, you know, maybe I'm not experiencing God. Then like you've, you've closed yourself off to, you know, the, the real, the juice and meat of those experiences, you know? Hmm. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, um, I'm a little bit kind of, you know, taken by what you just said because, It almost it almost sounds like underneath a potentially subjectively good, mm-hmm. there could be an underlying bad. Yeah. Right. So when we take a subjective opinion on mm-hmm. outcomes, um, you know, or experiences, mm-hmm. then we don't integrate the whole experience potentially. Yeah. Now, I guess the question is, when you take that to an extreme, yeah. how does one set a moral compass for oneself? Yeah. Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I don't know why it's happened in the way that it's happened or why I see like so many people doing psychedelics and then like not integrating what they've experienced, which for me has looked like literally like I, you know, I don't do psychedelics anymore because I've got the message. Like I can hang the phone up for sure. (laughs) Um, Like I've had those visionary experiences. Did you have a few after, um, after this first experience that we talked about? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I probably, I did ayahuasca in Peru like 15 times or something like that. Okay. Um, that was many years after, but, um, you know, probably did acid. I don't know, probably 15 to 20 times too. Yeah. Um, also not doing that super intelligently. Like right after I graduated college, I was like, part yeah, wherever, you know? wherever you were going, there right. was a little bit of, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, truly I had valuable experiences on yes. every trip that I ever did, you know? And sometimes it was through negative experiences that were actually showing me like that I was not in a good place and that I needed to like get out of the mm-hmm. situations that I was in. Um, you know, I've, I've never looked at a negative experience as being like just a bad trip. It was, always telling like if it was a bad trip it was like warning me about someone that i was either like living with or friends with or interacting with all the time like it was showing me something um and 
any time that I've like, you know, done those things, I generally have like, you know, tapped into some kind of visionary experience that I've now been able to tap into without the use of psychedelics. Um, more so the, the more that I meditate, the more that I'm able to do that without having to try. As and do you feel that psychedelics jump started you in that regard, you know, sure. or do yeah. you think that's it? Okay. Yeah. I, and I mean, I like maybe meditating is like, you can just get there meditating and maybe it would be cool if like that was the, you know, the ultimate, if, if everyone can meditate and get there, like that would be great. Um, I don't know if that's fully possible. I think that psychedelics are here for a reason and that, yeah. um, you know, shamanic cultures have used them as a, you know, a process to help basically like induct people into adulthood into whatever visionary experiences kind of give you in terms of confronting more difficult responsibilities, um, allowing you to, you know, really look at things from the outside and take on responsibilities and painful experiences willingly, not looking at it as these, you know, just, uh, things to be avoided. Right. Um, they give you in a lot of ways, I think they give you an attention span that like anyone these days could really wish to have. And mm. probably, you know, that children who are like raised on TV, like have no conception of being, you know, with their 15 second attention spans, you know, yeah, like gives you this much deeper awareness to look at things more deeply and, and look through things too. Mm. Like a, a greater sense of presence maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So talk to me about East meets West. Are you, bringing these lessons that you've learned to others and um, is there, are there psychedelics involved or is it? Yeah. Everyone at the event gets psychedelics. (laughs) (laughs) It's really wild. (laughs) We just dose everybody and then we shut the doors and we start playing Saving Private Ryan on a big screen TV. Oh my God. That sounds terrifying. (laughs) I don't want anything to do with that. But I love that movie. Oh my God. I like took a huge like bong rip in college at one point and we like turned on Saving Private Ryan and everyone in the room was just like, why the fuck did we do this? <laughs> Such a nightmare. Just like, it's like watching Saving Private Ryan in slow motion. It's like yeah. a nightmare. Um, no, there's no psychedelics at the event. I mean, maybe people do them, but I, we certainly don't give them out. Yeah. Um, it's more of an informational thing in a lot of ways. I mean, mm. and ultimately it's more of an experiential thing that, in a certain way, like my goal is to be able to create experiences that provide the kind of transformation that psychedelics yes. can give people without the use of psychedelics. Um, of course, like you can't, you can't necessarily always do that for a lot of people. So like, you know, in a lot of ways, it's mostly about introducing people who are not super familiar with that stuff in a way that makes it accessible to people. Um, so, you know, ideally I'm trying to get people who have at least some version of like a Western medical background, um, or who can speak to that audience in a way that feels comfortable. And that's not so new agey, like that doesn't like veer into, uh, extremism and like, you know, talking about new agey, what do you mean by that? Like to me, it's a nebulous term, but when someone is too far on the spiritual side and like 
I feel like I can't comfortably like make a poop joke with them. Like that's what, I'm <laughs> you know, like where I feel like they wouldn't get it or like, or like, I feel like they haven't had sex in two years, <laughs> you know, at least like there's a lack of practicality maybe in, in their kind of yes. outward. Yeah. There's a, an ungroundedness, you know, there's like literally like you just don't, I don't feel at ease mm-hmm. around them. And that's a subjective thing, you know, of course, um, but it's something that I've cultivated in myself. And so it's something that I can kind of sense with other people. To me, to me, new agey is more, is actually less along the lines of they move too far spiritual. It's more along the lines of they've integrated spirituality in a way that supports their lifestyle habits Mm -hmm. um, that aren't necessarily productive. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, you you don't meet a deadline and it's like everything happens for a reason oh for sure you know <laughs> like totally. what's meant to be will be <laughs> you know and maybe that works for some people sometimes i'm kind of envious of like those people that walk through life and seem like um you know mr bean right <laughs> just like blissfully ignorant just kind of like oh that rock almost fell on my head but it didn't it fell on your head and that's because i don't <laughs> care about things you know and uh and, and another way i would describe it is kind of like Almost like uh, there's like this, and I'd love to talk more about this with you because it doesn't sound like East meets West is about this at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is an element in kind of uh, modern spiritual culture that is basically using spirituality as a front to go get fucked up. Yeah, for sure. Right. And like, (laughs) yeah. And so it's like, oh, we're like intentionally partying, you know, like like the Burning Man vibe, which Burning Man has an incredible effect on many people and it's a wonderful event. And I don't mean to, to bash Burning Man in that way. And I enjoy it myself, but like, you know, there is an element of I'm literally going to the playa to get smashed and then say that I had a spiritual awakening. Right. And, you know, and not to discredit some people who are, who are, you know, of those 10 days have one day where they do something that actually is like really transformational for them, you know, yeah, like of course. It's, it's baby steps for everyone. Um, and I think you have to be patient with that. And, you know, I think people who absolutely who utterly hate burning man have usually never been, um, and don't recognize that like, Jesus Christ, like at least there's something cool happening in the United States. Like <laughs> I'll take it, you know, like fuck, like everything oh, else is so Applebee's <laughs> shitty. Like, <laughs> I, like, I love Applebee's by the way. <laughs> it's I literally was raised on it like every night. <laughs> I, get there, like, I was going to say they used to have like a, it takes two special that <laughs> you and my friends went to in high school. <laughs> Don't smash Applebee's, all right? There's no, nothing those, sacred. Those red oh, I would eat those still. I bet I would. No, I probably wouldn't. I no, of course. I mean, and, and it's Burning Man's a great experience, but but no, people are are utilizing those things, are, are covering it. There's spiritual materialism, you know. It's you know, a, yes, a I, version of materialism. I just covered up. I just want to find, you know a world where we have um, where we have a fine balance of like head and heart. Yeah, totally. You know, like just because you move towards spirituality does not mean that you don't have a, you know, a sharp head on your shoulders. Right. right? And you, you can think clearly about these things. Some things are not able to be, some things are meant to be experienced right. rather than rationalized. Yeah, totally. And that's where the heart 
and maybe the spirit comes in. Totally. Yeah. And then I think people get stuck there because like we're kind of raised in a head culture, you know, yeah, like for sure. overthinking things, um, over rationalizing. And then people find this like heart centered way of being and they are kind of like stay away, like rational thinking and like, you kind of have to, you know, it's a hobbit's journey, like there and back again, you know, like you, yes, have, of, you have, have to go back there <laughs> and like reintegrate that because like, then you have, you know, there, I would describe it as kind of being like an anti-intellectualism, you know, there's like this way in which people are like skeptical and, you know, I don't like Peter Jordan, what is his name? Jordan Peterson's like sexual mm. politics. I think that he's, um, I think he just like doesn't have any like gay or trans friends. And if he did, he'd probably just be like, Oh, I get it. Um, <laughs> he's just like living in this bubble of like what I've seen like, in interviews or just like he like lives with like his apartment is just like decorated with like pictures of like nineteen forties like memorabilia. And it's like, well, that's like what you're living in. Like that's what you're gonna be afraid of, you know? So yeah. I, I get And he you, has such a strong following. Right. You know, but it, it's and because, people write him off. Right. Uh, in the spiritual world right. without really listening. Right. And like there, but the, the element of him that I, I mean, you know, he's into Jungian stuff. He's into like actually confronting dark stuff, which that tends to be what spiritual people like get afraid of where they think that they've confronted and then they actually really haven't. Um, or they've gone into spiritual practices without having, like, truly, I think that you need to have some kind of philosophical back. Like, you need to have some kind of backbone there. That's in any yoga philosophy, like, that's an yeah. integral component. Like, you have to have some understanding of those things in order to be able to understand, okay, like, that's what this means. Like, that's what, if you have an experience of seeing your grandmother in the afterlife, what does that mean philosophically? Like, that means that you would have to have a soul. So does that mean that that's separate from your physical body? Does What does that say about the difference between things that are material or spiritual or disembodied? Like it begs all these questions. And if you don't have any tools to like attack that, then you're going to kind of just be like in this stew of like, I don't fucking get it. So like, I guess I'm just going to like wear white and go do more ayahuasca and like try and <laughs> let it figure just itself out. Just keep going back to the well right. and having that heightened state of consciousness right. without really processing it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's honestly, it's the, the, it's funny how like anything can be swept up into um, into the cultural zeitgeist, mm -hmm. right? So, like, our current cultural state is one of consumption, yeah. right? M materialism right. in any sense. And so you bring something like a sacred, you know, plant medicine, like ayahuasca, into a society like this, and it becomes, you know, starts on the fringe, and then it becomes groups every weekend, right? right? Sitting literally every weekend, every weekend. playing with yeah. this powerful medicine or powerful drug whatever you want to label it right. as though it were some kind of toy yeah. you know to constantly be consumed potentially abuse and it's frustrating uh for me to see that but i think it's just been absorbed by yeah. the surrounding environment in some ways totally yeah i mean there's definitely like like i can't completely knock it because like it's opening things up mm. um of course. And ultimately, like, I, I think the things do largely just mostly happen for a reason. I think that there is a certain deterministic element to the universe. Hmm. Um, but it's also, you know, you can't be, I also believe in being critical of things that are 
or like obviously bad in order to fix those things and to be able to move forward. I think that that's, we're on an evolutionary path and the path forward is usually involves like chopping away at like the things that aren't helping us grow. And like that to mm. me is a huge problem because it just isn't actually serving those people. It's just actually like in a lot of instances making things a lot worse for them and like creates a, you know, a culture of kind of exclusivity and superiority and, you know, when it's meant to be about togetherness and right. co- and connectedness and hive mind, maybe me- right. not meant to be, maybe that's strong, but one can experience that. One can experience it. And also I think one can, you know, if you're not helping other people, like if you're not doing something that like helps to like lift other people up, you're for sure not going to experience as much lightness of being as someone who does. Like that's just part of being human. Like we're here to help each other. Like we're here to be in community. It's, scientifically proven that like we do a lot better when we actually have a lot of friends to kind of check on us and make Mm. sure that other things are, you know, in order in our lives. Like we, we need other people and where there is injustice, like how can you not want to put that back into balance? You know, that doesn't really make sense to me on an empathic level. And I think it's only people who are like, not looking at things from that or who are looking at things from the perspective of like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to help the people who I'm meant to help, or I'm, I'm going to shine my light. And my light is like a white privileged lady light. So like, I'm, that's the only type of person that I'm going to help. <laughs> like, uh, uh, maybe, you know, but like, and like everyone needs it. But if there's no, if there's no efforts being made to help people who, need it who wouldn't otherwise be able to get it then like there's something problematic there you know and that's that's what i see more so in burning man spiritual communities than anything else it's like you go to burning man and yeah and there's very few um there's there is little diversity there yeah like it is a rich white person festival objectively yeah although i think they they don't want it to be that way it just has become that and i think They've, they've brought in a lot of different elements. I know last year there were a lot of art pieces from various cultures and they try, but, you know, in a weird way, it's it's um, yeah. isolating. Yeah, I mean, it's a futuristic event, you know? Yeah. Um, and a lot of what I'm trying to do is connecting people back to traditional roots. Hmm. That's, like, really what the essence of East Meets West is about. A lot of the focus of it is about herbal medicine, hmm. Um which I think is like kind of the be all end all of healing for most people. Like, you know, people are divorced from nature. Like that's the fundamental problem that's going on here. Like we're too Mm -hmm. much in our minds in the future and whatever is going on. And we've separated ourselves completely from the past. We've put old people in nursing homes. Yes. We don't eat food that we should be eating, which we've Mm -hmm. co-evolved to survive and sustain ourselves with. Um, we have no understanding of plants or flowers or trees or, or and the healing effects that they can have on not just the body, but the mind. I particularly work with flower essences, which are specifically for mental states. So, you know, you have, um, hornbeam, which is for morning depression that leads to a sense of procrastination. When you said hornbeam, I thought it might've been something else. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. It's the best flower name. Of all of them. Or wait, what's another really good one? Speaking of Burning Man, I think that's someone's ply. <laughs> it's got a 
teddy bear chola cactus. That's another one. <laughs> Actually. Another really good one. That's okay. for when you're impatient with your speed of growth. <laughs> okay. Like each individual plant has like a specific psychological mm. thing that goes with it. Like um, uh, clematis is for when you're like too, when you're really spacey and not grounded and can't mm. pay attention to things. Um, uh, elm is for feelings of overwhelm um, and anxiety. Uh, uh Another specific larches for lack of self confidence. Hmm. Um, you know, fucking no one even believes that this stuff works when you like show it to them because, like, flower essences are like the bottle says, like, take four drops four times a day. They collect essences by like collecting the flat, the water off of the morning dew of the flower. It just like sounds like pseudoscience, and like, yeah, of course, like, I agree with that. Like, it sounds stupid, yeah, but like, maybe it works. And like, mm. you're really just taking the, you know, like if you have any question that herbal medicine works, like then, you know, there, there's going to be no convincing you, but like there's, that's insane because there's so many studies now about how they do work and, you know, they're utilized in all other cultures. 80% of the world still uses this stuff. Obviously it hasn't been used for 5,000 years because it doesn't work, you know? And of course there's a placebo effect, like, you know, and maybe that's been the only thing that's been at, in operation and all of that. Mm. Um, but I think you'd be kidding yourself at this point to, you know, where, with where the culture is at. With well, one like, thing, so when people talk about a placebo effect, maybe, maybe a placebo effect, you know, people that are hard scientists are going to kill me for saying this, but like, mm-hmm. well, one, it doesn't matter, right? If, if it's cured, it's cured. Yeah, totally. Um, two, maybe a placebo effect actually has to do with something psychological that we don't mm-hmm. see in, yeah. in massive studies, right? right? So like, you know, a per- certain percentage of the placebo population actually gets healed of something because they believe they're getting cured. Yeah. Maybe that speaks less to the medicine and more to the individual, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. you hear these miracles all the time of people healing themselves. Yeah. Um, and it seems within the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost want to say experience is entirely subjective Mm -hmm. and thus what I think this type of medicine might be around experimenting with what works for you. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I would maybe have the caveat that like, it's not all completely subjective that there is an an objective reality. There's an, there's a reality outside of you. So, like, you can't just think away, like, a yeast infection, you know, like... (laughs) Or a broken arm. Right, yeah. Those things you probably need some help with, you know. Um, But the power of thought to change your physiology is real. Like, you can change the, you know, speed of your blood flow. You can change, obviously, the rate of your breathing. Yep. And all of those things will have overall... digestion. Right. Those will have overall systemic effects on the way that everything operates in your body. Right. Um, and so has the power to expel disease, especially less serious ones. Um, but when things are like go much deeper then like you do need healing substances to help fix those things. Um, and I think that like, you know, what the fuck are the odds that like we are born on this earth and then all of a sudden there are plants that grow from the ground that like, if you mix them correctly can fix the problems that are in your body. Like it's wild. It's totally crazy that that is. <laughs> it reminds me of this Louis CK bit where he, um, he does like, you know, people are asking God, like, why God, you know, why don't you give me this? And he's like, dude, I, 
I put it all over the ground oh, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right there. Right. You know, it fell off the tree. It's <laughs> just eat it. That's, that's what you'd like. I, I gave it to you. Just do it. Like I drank the Pepto-Bismol. Like yeah. <laughs> that doing the trick. <laughs> from, oh, the guy at CVS oh, or at Pepto-Bismol, the company, did probably is like mostly up for money. <laughs> Maybe, know? yeah. Like you can't synthesize those things into things that can make money. So like, mm. that's why, like, that's why we've been sold all these other things when like, actually, and I mean, like, I think it's, we've obviously like developed technologies that like are amazing and interesting and valuable in their own right. Um, but we've like in doing that, it's like, we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. It's like, we've just been like, Oh, well let's, let's only do that. You know? Cause yeah. it's just like a human tendency. It's like, we get focused on one thing and then we are like to the exclusion of everything else. We pursue that one thing. And then you realize like, Oh wait, like I need these other things too. Mm. And that's just, you know, uh, a function of being, you know, like kind of monomaniacal, I guess you could say. Yeah. That's, that resonates. I, um, I, I'm reminded of, of, uh, of you, you called it a Bilbo Baggins <laughs> or I'm thinking of Bilbo Baggins. You said like a hobbit's tale. Yeah. Um, we'll get back to Bilbo later, but you know, I'm reminded of Ram Dass. He talks about, um, in this speech he made dying into life, he talks about the path is narrow and you kind of stray from the path in any, in either direction. It's kind of like this meandering mm-hmm. snake, like yeah. around the path. Because the road to perdition is wide, quote unquote, not his quote, I don't think. Um, And I feel like, at least in my personal journey, and I'd love to hear about yours as well, the pendulum has swung. You know, it it was like finance and economics, and then it was like, no material things. I can be a yoga instructor. And I was like, oh, wait, like, they're not that bad. And now it's like, oh, my God, money's great. And it's like, wait, but I want to go back to this. I feel like as a society, we're doing that, you know, and. And I feel, you know, going back to yoga, because that's, that's the practice that I know the best. It's about hugging the midline, right? It's not just about, you know, irrational belief, nor is it about hyper rationality. It's somewhere in the middle that we find that balance. And, and yeah, I think, you know, what we're seeing is this kind of resurgence of, I, that's why I love East meets West. You know, yeah, yeah. some of this stuff fits in Eastern philosophy, right. meeting kind of the rational Western. How do we get the scientists of the world yeah. to embrace that perception is limited yeah. and that which is not provable yeah. may but, be valuable? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I think psychedelics are going to be the thing that's going to change that. Um, and I think that is changing. Mm. Um, you know, you've got Michael Pollan's book that just came out, um, which is kind of reintroducing psychedelics to, you know, an audience that's generally more, you know, older, more intellectual, um, you know, New York times readers types, um, which I think will have an overall systemic effect on, you know, people who would otherwise consider themselves to be more on the atheistic agnostic side of things. Um, Cause for me, at least I was like, so on that path, if I had not done psychedelic, I would have never seen mm. the other side. Like, unless I'd had an experience that completely like 
I could not explain according to just like normal cause and effect that seemed to have a very clear and particular meaning to me in my life, I wouldn't have. Well, they, what are those NDEs, near death experiences, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Have a similar effect to psychedelics. Right. Maybe. Exactly. It's like when you have those experiences and that's so cool. Cause it's like, that's the, having an experience of something is so different from having an intellectual understanding of it. Like, well, they certainly, you know, if nothing else, make you appreciate just how subjective your own reality is, yeah. which I think in and of itself is an important discovery. Um, I think we can get there without, you know, without the use of psychedelics. I think one can definitely get to that point. Um, I'm always reminded of this episode of Planet Earth. Mm. Uh, it's like deep sea and there's this creature underwater that, um, that emits a certain uh, wavelength of light such that it's invisible to all of the other creatures around it at that, at that depth. And, you know, that's how I equate spirits in our fluid, which is air, the fluid that we move through every day. You know, it's really not a big leap for me to imagine that there are entities that live within this fluid the same way that there are invisible to our perception and our senses. And so that doesn't mean that to say that, like, you know, I I believe in ghosts or that, you know, I believe in, in magic necessarily, um, which I actually do. um, And I think that's okay, but I don't think one needs to be irrational to appreciate that there are things that we don't understand and to be open-minded to old Eastern or to new. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that hundred percent. Um, and yeah, I don't think that, you know, psychedelics are necessary. I think that I just see that coming. I think I see another psychedelic revolution, like I'm mm. about to hit Gwyneth Paltrow just released an article saying that they're the next wellness trend. So, <laughs> mm. wow. Yeah. <laughs> My, um, I, I have a friend, I'm actually, I'd love to interview him on the podcast. He's, he's, you know, he was very straight and narrow, kind of like very science oriented, working on biotech startups and now is like moved into psychedelic research. Oh, wow. um, my friend Liana is hopefully going to be on the podcast as well. And Liana she, Burgess? Uh, Sonata. Okay. She's working with MAPS now. Oh, okay. Uh, MDMA in phase three trials for um, PTSD, mm-hmm. ketamine just yeah. released for depression, right. psilocybin in, I think, phase two trials for depression, yeah. right? This stuff is real. This stuff is working now. And I think you might be right. Yeah. That it, the time is coming. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So, you know, the event, you know, features a lot of like workshops, talks and panel discussions on, you know, especially, you know, wellness practices, um, but also just Eastern and Western wisdom of all sorts. So, mm. you know, you might have some talks that are like more like just Ted-esque that could just, you know, you would maybe find in that avenue, but you know, we have a lot of stuff that's more oriented around, you know, explaining things either through or with a um, with a view or a lens to, you know, spiritual or Buddhist or you know um, practices that are not totally like accepted or super well known by people, you mm. know, in the Western world shamanic practices shamanic viewpoints of the world too um and who's the target audience is it individuals that are kind of already in that mm -hmm. space or are you trying to bring in you know more numbers uh so i'm 
I want to bring in more people who are not already fully mm. in that world. Um, people who are already in that world obviously come because they're like, I love this shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how do you attract people that are not already in that world? Well, it's hard. And the, so far it's been hard. Um, but the next one, um, I have like plans to like basically bring in speakers who mm. can attract a like broader audience. Um, well, Tony Robbins is like such a perfect example, right? Yeah. Right. Totally. Someone like that or like, a um, well, I'm, yeah, I'm like, you know, working especially hard to get like Michael Holland at the event and, um, you know, artists who have a weird flavor to them, like Reggie Watts, like people who like appeal to just kind of a broad millennial, any millennial is interested in this stuff and is open to it in a way that like I can work with, you know, um, like, so many people now are like reaching out to me and being like, I brought a tarot deck, you know? And it's just like, yeah, cool. And they're like, I don't believe in it, but like I use it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, <laughs> well, one, I find tarot to be interesting because it, it, it provides, um, reflection. Yeah. So you, right. whether or not you believe in the deck, you pull a card and you read it and then it's like, Oh, I have to think yes, 100%. about this and yeah. there I am. Totally. And I think that it's valuable for that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like, I've been reading tarot for long enough that like, I've seen like the, the coincidences there and like my ability to, uh, like kind of read between the lines of like what the different interpretations of the combinations of the cards mean that like, they're so specific to my situation most of the time that it's like, I, and I don't even know what it says about the structure of the, it's like the fact that we, create our own meaning or that there's a uh, synchronicity to the events that unfold between the cards and what's happening in my mind or happening in my life. Um, whether or not that was predetermined over, I don't know what's going on, you know? Um, I've like studied a lot of astrology stuff and, you know, that in particular is like, well, are the planets affecting us? Like, I don't, I can't say that. I don't know what the fuck the forces are that would be interacting there. Um, the best description I've heard is that like they act more as a mirror, like, but there's no, uh, that doesn't explain the how that doesn't explain the cause and effect between why the things are related mm. to each other. Um, and I don't think that it has to, I don't even think it ever will. I don't think it can. Um, and I have no real stake in that, but I've seen the correspondence between them and in such like, astounding symmetry that like I can't deny that like I think that there's a uh, correlation or I mean enough correlation is the word as but. someone who's obviously really intelligent um do you struggle with knowing that you believe in that which you cannot prove via cause and effect relationships um no but only because the word belief would be wrong to say about what I I I'm always experimenting mm. and everything is a continual revision of that first experiment. And I'm always replacing whatever came before with something that's maybe slightly more certain, but that's never going to get to absolute certainty. So like that's, if you take belief to mean that, then um, I don't struggle with it, but I do struggle with the fact that it can be hard to convey in a, precise like one 
sentence. <laughs> well, I just find like I struggle for me personally, I struggle with that specifically yeah. with my friends who are so in right. the intellectual realm, right. you know, I, I, it's, I, I have not, I need to hone my argumentation skills yeah. in order to, you know, avoid logical fallacies and things like that. Yeah, totally. Right. When I'm describing these things, right. because there is an element of faith in, yeah. in, in it for me personally. Yeah. Um, because, because I, because I believe that even with an N of N equals one in the experiment, experiment of my life, that it's, you know, that it's still meaningful. And if it works for me, then, Hey, like I'm going to share that it works for me. If it works for you too, great. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Like I do, I would say that I do struggle with, like, I do have a faith in a certain way. Like I'll make decisions based on what my tarot cards say or like what my astrology yeah. is saying. And, and that would be a hard thing to, to, or to, to tell some of my friends that I, sure. well, they would, they're not, they're not there. So like, they're not going yeah. to them. That's totally irrational. And for me to even explain it to them, well, for the most part, it's like I could give them this whole spiel and like, a lot of the time, I think it's truly that their attention span couldn't even pay attention for long enough to construct the whole argument for me to make and for them to fully, for it to sink in all the way. Because it is so, com- it's complex at its root. But also a lot of times they just haven't had an experience that makes them believe like, okay, well, that could that could make sense to me, you know? Um, so I don't expect them. You know, like I don't expect someone who hasn't had those experiences. Like, there's literally no expectation. With but that's, models. but in a way, that with your festival, that's what you're. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you have to get them right. there, there, and if psychedelics is yeah. not right, like you're not going to be able to yeah. dose the world. Right. I mean, maybe somebody's trying. Yeah. I, I, like <laughs> somebody out there pulling spring, you know, one day or whatever, but. You know, it's a lot of people do enter this world through that or through some traumatic experience. And one, you know, you're not going to get everyone to do a psychedelic to open their mind to these new things. And two, you hope that everyone doesn't have to experience something traumatic in order for there to be a global shift in mentality. And so, like, how do you bridge that gap? Yeah. So uh, I would say that it's fine for people to. Have it. I think everyone's going to have some kind of traumatic experience in order to actually make that shift. Like that's inevitable. People have to have some kind of low. They have to have some kind of emotional bottoming out in order to feel the pain of like wanting to transform. Um, and so I don't think that there's actually a problem with that. It's our relationship with pain and thinking that pain's a bad thing that creates the problem there. Um, and so even just giving people that information, like if they can, you can understand that intellectually. And like, if you can see that someone's actually lived that and gone through an experience, which I personally did with acid, where it extracted me from that experiencing pain as like avoiding, wanting to avoid it and actually being like wanting to embrace it. And people can slowly like dip their toe in the water of like getting a picture of what it looks like. And then hopefully, you know, decide to go do it on their own somewhere else and then maybe come back to the event next year and it creates a culture and a community of people who are doing that kind of stuff. Um, what about some kind of exchange program, mm-hmm. right? Or some kind of credits or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just ultimately like my event right now is like more focused on people who are like definitely who are liberals who are like living in cities who like are probably slightly more on the, like, you know, went to a good school and like are interested in this stuff, but are skeptical side of things Mm. and also people who are already in it. Um, 
and eventually it will broaden out. And I think the culture as a whole, I feel like I'm riding a wave of other things that are also kind of building up right now with like things like you were mentioning ketamine and ecstasy and stuff being, um, potentially being legalized sooner than later. Um, and so I think that the broad culture at large will start to be more interested in this stuff in a general way. Um, and I think it will grow, it, success will grow over time. You know, I mm-hmm. think I, can totally envision doing it in those types of places too. Um, you know, just logistically for me right now, it's, it's just not where my energy can be because I need to be growing it in those places and really cultivating an audience of people who also might want to, you know, I guess like getting those early evangelists. Exactly. Like who want to actually like, you know, do it themselves and help me grow it, help yeah. do it in other places. Right. How important to you is the, is the one-on-one work that you do with people in um, coaching? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, it's really valuable to have that one-on-one connection. I just, like, I'm much better one-on-one than I am in groups in a general way. So Mm -hmm. I, like, love doing that deep work with people and watching transformation happen, like, over the course of a session or over the course of the weeks that we don't work while they're taking the, you know, different herbs or supplements or whatever that I give them. Um, You know, ultimately, like, I want to be doing it's like East meets West is away. And I didn't even realize this when I started it. I really just started the event because I was like planning events and I was like, I want to do something that introduces people in a general way. I only started doing the one-on-one work recently. And now I'm realizing that I needed to have something that would actually allow people to experience transformation over the course of time Mm -hmm. and give them like more consistent results. So they don't just take that information and then go home and never apply it. Mm -hmm. So they actually like utilize it and see that it works and, you know, hopefully, you know, give it to other people and, you know, maybe get interested to learn that stuff themselves and spread the knowledge. Right. Mm. Um, it's a crucial component. It's like, if you're not doing one-on-one work, like you're not really doing a whole lot. It's like you can give broad general stuff, but everyone has their own particular trauma, you know, and if they're not getting handled one-on-one, if you're not going deep with people, if you're just going a mile wide and inch deep, that's, You've got to go both, you know, you have to go both mm. wide and deep at different points. You have to kind of oscillate between those two things. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, it's a fine balance. You know, the, the deep in individual work can have a meaningful effect on one person. Right. Totally. Right. But then you also want to have a broader reach as well. hundred percent. Well, cause also just by doing a broader reach, I also will get people who are like, much it's more ready for the transformation, you know? Yeah. It's like the top of the sales funnel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Putting my capitalist hat on right, right now thinking about this stuff. No, that is, I mean that I'm, I don't have a problem with capitalism. I think that capitalism yeah. is actually a good thing. If the people who are capitalists are fully empathic and psychically aware of what they're doing. So yeah. if they can actually feel the feelings of everyone who they work for and they work with and they have, guidance from not just their business coach, but also from like fucking spirits and things telling them what to do, then you could be doing a great job with all that. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to help people, but if you do it in a way that's just extracting or that helps or that where you take on people who you know that you can't help or who need something else first and you don't refer them to other people, like that's a problem, you know, that's where problems come in. Absolutely. Specifically with this work, because people are so open, so susceptible, you know, to manipulation. You see a lot of false prophets out there. Um, 
false shamans. A lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot. And like, there's, you know, for me, psychedelics were like particularly valuable in like exposing me to like warning signs, like giving me intuitive, like mm. I will get the spidey sense in the back of my head. I will like, especially I have like spirit specific spirit animals that I see when I'm interacting with someone who's not totally where there's something shady going on. Hmm. Um, Are you getting any of those animals right now? No, you're good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Maybe. No, you're fine. I I did a reading before you came. Okay, good. (laughs) I do though. I literally read for like almost every. You want to do a reading right now? Sure. Can we do one on on mic? This deck? Yeah, sure. Awesome. If it comes up like I'm gonna die tomorrow, then I'm not gonna post this. <laughs> this deck is a little harsh, so let's see. Oh, well, I could always use some tough love. Okay. I mean, it feels like this is kind of just talking about everything that we just talked about, or like it's bringing up certain specific things. Hmm. Because um, we didn't even really touch on morality in particular, but that's like a kind of crucial component of, um, like the philosophical framework that. I feel like psychedelics and spiritual practice like opens you to because like if you just have a strictly scientific materialist or like physical understanding of the universe, you're there's actually no incentive to be moral. Like your understanding of the universe would be very Ayn Randian, like fountain heady. Like Mm. you're entitled to all the work that you do and whatever you invent, like you can capitalize on that shit. And there's no, if you like fuck over someone else, Mm. like, that's because you fully deserve what you did and you're getting that of your own free will. If that's your understanding of the universe, then like you're, there's no incentive to like be a good person really at the end of the day. Like you might as well just like fucking like take advantage of shit because you're just going to die. And like, but, but someone like Sam Harris, who's like an ardent, yeah. you know, atheist would say to that argument, like I'm a good person because I see that that's, the right thing to do. I, I would need the incentive. I would argue that that's actually almost, um, almost like you're being a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> like if you mean like there's no consequences to being bad. Yeah. If there were no consequences, you might as well just fucking do whatever the hell you want. I don't know. Like, I don't know that I agree with that. You know, I don't maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe instinctively that's what I'm doing because I have a fear of afterlife or karma or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But you know, isn't it enough just to be? I mean, I think people kind. don't do it when they have a natural sense of empathy for other people because, like, that's hard to just get rid of completely. Mm-hmm. But if you follow, like, I'm saying if you're truly a scientific materialist and you don't really believe that, like, emotions are even real, that you think that it's just a byproduct or an of, of some kind of chemical reaction in your body, yeah, then there would be no real incentive to adhere to those or to value them or think that they're real. So if that's the case, then whatever you do that might hurt other people's feelings or there's no reason to think that like they're even an ensouled person. Mm. You're just hurting another machine. You're hurting another machine, right? There's like, what's who cares? Mm. Like, yeah, I was thinking about, um, well, I, before when you were, we were talking about kind of how do we bridge the gap, I was thinking a lot about uh, yoga mm-hmm. again and uh, and the physical practice, right? Because a lot of people move into asana practice first because 
they have some kind of injury or they want to get fit or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And there's one studio in, in LA that I won't go after by name, but they just did this challenge where it was like, right, how many years you've been doing yoga on your hand and post it, <laughs> right, yeah. to Instagram. And I thought about doing it. I was going to do it in like a suit or something, like mm-hmm. totally not like my sexy yoga spandex, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I'm reminded, this morality card is reminding me of a quote from Dharma, who's a teacher in New York who I've studied with a little bit. Mm, yeah. He's a good living guru to many. Yeah. Uh, and he basically says, yoga without the yamas and the niyamas is just gymnastics. Yeah. And the yamas and niyamas are basically the moral code yeah. of yoga practitioners. Yeah. And so I agree. I mean, you need that scaffolding. Yeah. Um, in order to build up a true spiritual practice. I think that's important. Totally, yeah. And I don't think that you can have those without the spiritual experience either. Like, I don't think that they they don't pop up without there being an actual, uh, without there being karmic problems for you if you, like, aren't a good person. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't live forever, there's, like, if you're just going to die and, like, you might as well fucking, like, get as much out of it as you can, you know? Yeah, like the hedonist style. Right. Like, that's what that... I mean, it's just, like, it's... You don't even have to, like, you know, believe me in, like, the sense of, like, like, I wouldn't do that because, like, that's... When I think about it logically, like, that's not where I would go. Just look at where our culture is at and, like, look at what we believe and, like, look at what people do. That's what happens. So, like, there's a cause and effect there, you know? And it's the opposite it's the opposite case in which people tend to do more like quote unquote moralistic humanitarian things that actually like help other people so how bad is this reading because we're we're not we're not go, we're not going in on it you've been really nice about avoiding it is it that bad and we're gonna die <laughs> talk, to <No. laughs> talk to me I'm scared <laughs> I mean I'm just not positive i'm like it's, I think like, it's a reflection of our conversation and and that energy rather than yeah because it's just like the the fool is like just kind of like talking about things that are like kind of out in the air like to me this card is like he's stepping off of a cliff like into like kind of nothingness mm. and like our conversation has been very much like philosophically like <laughs> out in the ethers <laughs> That's true. Maybe it's telling me not to do a podcast in general. Just, <laughs> just the, the fool going to talk about everything that already else is out there. Right. Just go do something. No, I mean, this is like, and then this is just like him stepping off. And then that's like where you end up. It's just like going into like stepping into nothingness in a certain way. Beautiful. I mean, it's a wonderful place to step into. I'm excited by that. Parrot. Interesting. I think the parrot is actually being a lot about communication. Like, Mm. they imitate human voices so like it's an interesting one to get in the context of a podcast because it's like we're i mean we're in a certain sense like parroting other people's ideas but yeah i mean expressing our own too you know um but mostly just parroting yeah it reminds me actually of the, the my senior paper that i wrote in college was about um this short story by flaubert called um a simple heart where this like like kind of like made of this like rich family um has this relationship with a parrot that's like really transcendental and (laughs) um and it's apparently very clear that flaubert is like mocking this person um in my like senior defense oral that i had 
Um, that's what all the other teachers took it to be. They took him to be kind of mocking this dumb, this dumb girl who was having this like transcendental experience with a parrot who's obviously like saying thing like the parrot as a symbol is saying things that don't have meaning. It's just repeating things, but it doesn't understand what they mean. So it's like, uh, it was a symbol that like nothing has meaning. Um, and I was taking it to be like, there's actually a lot of meaning like this. It's, kind of a beautiful experience for this like person who's like not well educated and not rich to have this like kind of naively like transcendental experience because she doesn't over intellectualize things. Um, and that to me is like a, you know, kind of commentary on a lot of the things that we've been talking about. Cause a lot of people do, you know, when they over intellectualize, they have this, if you get stuck just, you know, in the world of language and not having an experience that points to the things that language can only point to, then you're not going to have a meaningful understanding or a meaningful experience of what it actually is to be human and to have something that's like not a fully like immaterial experience. Beautiful. I think we can stop with that. Yeah. Thank right you. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. It's been a really fun ride so far. I just get so excited every time I meet some of these incredible people and just love sharing their stories and, and ideas with you all. You can learn more about the show at thelookuppodcast.com. That's T-H-E, lookuppodcast.com. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N on both Twitter, Instagram, um, and Medium and Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page for the show as well, The Look Up Podcast. Um, on Facebook. So check us out. Uh, you can also subscribe to our mailing list on the website for more future updates. If there's anything from the show that you want to catch, I've posted that in the show links for you to check out. And if there's any way that I can improve, please let me know. Feel free to reach out. If you have any guest recommendations, please let me know. Other than a couple of individuals who are helping me out in the background, you know, this is a passion project and I'm always open to feedback and any kind of support. I want to thank Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the sound editing and the intro and outro song that he created. And I want to thank Hello There Collective for their support on my social media. You can check them out at hellotherecollective.com. All right, that's enough for me. I'm sure you're ready to go on to your next activity. Thank you for listening. And please come back again next week for another episode of the Look Up Podcast. Podcast.